couple of you. My name is Marco. I work here. Uh, I'm the junior high pastor here. That's a huge honor of mine. I'm really pumped to be teaching this morning. I'm like super excited. I've been loving this series. I love that we're going through and we're finding all the difficult passages and the ones that make us feel awkward and uncomfortable. And, and, like that's just my personality. Uh, like I'm the type of person who's going like, to find the limits and push them a little bit. Like I was the worst junior high student. I was the worst high school student because I just wanted to see how far I could go. Like how much can I get away with? How much can I, you know, push the boundaries or, or whatever. And, and, finding, and finding passages like this one, like the one that we're talking about in Judges 10, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there as we're getting ready. Uh, this passage in Judges 10 offers a very interesting insight. It, it, it's, it's a very interesting view on God. It, 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 has, it has me personally asking myself a lot of questions. Like, is this really what God feels like? And I think it's important for us to go through a series like this. A series like this one is really important. It's important for us to see that like, okay, yeah, I know Jesus. I have a personal relationship with him. Me and him are tight, but I've got to get into the nitty gritty details if I'm going to really know him. If I'm going to really understand everything that there is to know about him, I've got to get into the weeds. And so in Judges chapter 10, we see a lot of weeds, if we're being honest. Sarah, my phone is doing that thing, so I'm just going to tap the screen when we're ready. Uh, so uh, I'm going to have you stand. We're going to read uh, this section in Judges chapter 10, uh, and then we're going to go ahead and get into it. So starting in verse 6, if you have your Bibles, we're in Judges chapter 10, starting in verse 6, and this is what it says. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They served the Baals, the Ashtaroths, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. And because the, Israel, the Israelites forsook the Lord and no longer served him, he became angry with them. He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and the Ammonites, who that year shattered and crushed them. For 18 years, they oppressed the Israelites on the east side of the Jordan in Gilead, in the land of the Amorites. The Ammonites also crossed the Jordan to fight against Judah, Benjamin, and Ephraim. Israel was in great distress. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. Verse 11, the Lord replied, When the Egyptians and Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidians, the Amalekites, the Moanites, when they oppressed you and you cried out for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer serve you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you are in trouble. This is the word of the Lord. I can hear the excitement in your voices. You can have a seat. I can hear just the pleasure, just the, ooh, Jesus is being, and God is being so loving in this passage. This is one of those passages that I read and I'm thinking, oh, no. I mean, look at this verse. But you have forsaken me and served other gods. So, God says, so, I will no longer save you. What? What? Listen, like, that is a really scary thing to hear from anybody. Like, if my mom said that to me, I'd be terrified. Like, I'm not going to save you, man. Good luck. But for God to say something like this, that carries a lot of extra weight. Let's remember that he can't lie. Let's remember that he always tells the truth. 
And so he says, you've, you've chosen other things. I think a verse like this highlights God's jealousy. It shows us just how jealous he gets. Envy and jealousy is like a wrong thing for us. When we think of jealousy, there's always this negative feeling. Like, I know I'm not supposed to be envious of what other people have. But God is in a different position. He's perfect. He's blameless. He's offering everything of himself to us. He's kind. He's generous. And he's giving it up to us. Here I am, he says. And then we run and we choose other things. And that's when his jealousy spikes. He's saying, am I not good enough for you? Am I not offering everything? Like, what else could you want besides me? And so here in this verse, we see God's jealousy highlighted. Here, I'll, I'll highlight it for you if you can hit the next slide. He says, you have forsaken. You chose this. You served other gods. And in response, God says, I'm not going to save you. This is a really common place the Israelites find themselves in the book of Judges. They find themselves in this cycle of doing really terrible things, God, for, God letting them fall into their own sin, them crying out for help, God, please save us. And then God would send a judge to save them, to, to free them from their captors, to liberate them from their... But then they'd be right back into it. I mean, look, even the, verse, the chapters that we read today, it starts that way. It says in verse 6, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Like they're already back into their old habits. They're chasing other idols. They're chasing other gods. And what Judges 10 shows us possibly is if I chase another idol too much, if I chase another god so hard, or if I just pursue something else so much, there may get to a point where God says, okay, go ahead. Go see if it works out. That's really scary. That's like really terrifying for me, personally. And unfortunately, this isn't the only place in Scripture that we see God using this kind of language. He, he uses this language in, in 1 Samuel chapter 8 as well. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, Samuel is a prophet. And he's, he speaks to God, and he speaks for God to the Israelite people. He's a mediator between the two. And, and, and he's getting old. He's like in at least, like I mean, he's getting really old. You know what I mean? He's getting up there. He's got to be at least 35 or something like that, right? So he's, he's climbing up there in age, right? And, and the Israelites are getting to this point where they're looking at Samuel getting into this high age and they're thinking, well, if he goes, we're in a place of trouble. None of Samuel's kids are like him. There really isn't any successor to take over for Samuel. And so Israel decides, we want the king, this whole judges thing isn't really working out for us. We keep messing it up. We keep dropping the ball. Maybe they place a little bit of blame on God and they say, okay, well, maybe if we had a king, God, maybe if we had a king, it would solve a little bit of our issues. So in 1 Samuel chapter 8, we see the Israelites asking for a God, for a, they see, we see the Israelites asking God for a king. They say things like, they say things like, uh, we want to be like everyone else, right? God, everyone else has a king. Everyone else is doing it, okay? They, they even say that, like, you know what? Everyone else is doing it too. Like, we just want to be like everyone else. And so we, we want a strong leader. We want someone who's going to uh, go for us and, and, and stand out in front of us. Listen, listen, listen to what it, uh, they said. 
uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 6. But they said, give us a king to lead us. Give us a king to lead us. They even asked that we want someone who's going to go in front of us and fight for us. We want someone who's going to lead the armies in battle. And God is saying, what? Have I not been doing that for you? Have I not been carrying you through all of these battles? God's like, don't you remember like 10 years ago when I saved you? And then like 25 years ago when I saved you? And then like 50 years and 100 years and 150 years? Like I've just been saving you over and over and over again. And apparently I'm not good enough. And Israel's like, we don't care. We want a king. We, we want to do this our own way. We want a king so bad. We, we think we know better. We want to do other things. And so God gives them this guy, Saul. I love this painting of Saul. Look, like, even Saul's disappointed, right? Like, okay, so they hand him, God gives them Saul. And if you know anything about Saul, he's a, a, a terrible king, a terrible guy. He shows up and he gives the Israelites almost exactly what they asked for, right? And, and this is one of these like crazy issues for us, right? Like idolatry is something that we talk about a lot. We see a lot in scripture. But when we look at Judges 10, when we see 1 Samuel 8, and we see God's attitude of like, just go ahead. Like you want these things so badly. You're, you're pursuing these things so, so quickly, so harshly. You're running away from me so intently that you know what? Fine, go for it chase after it. That's scary stuff. This morning, we're obviously, we're talking about idolatry. We're asking our, our, ourselves the question, what is idolatry? I think it's really important for us to ask this question, like super important. I think we all have a pretty solid concept of what idolatry looks like or kind of feels like, or like, yeah, I can kind of understand what could be an idol in my life, but I think that there's this like muddy water to it. I think it's difficult for us to wrap our minds around like what actually is an idol in my life. Maybe that's just me, but I, we're going to go through it anyway. John, he, he uses this, this passage in his book to describe kind of what an idol is in his mind. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is of the world or is from the world. I think this is like a good understanding. We all arrive somewhere here. Like if, if I were to ask you like, what is idolatry? We'd say like loving something that's in the world more than I love God. And that's, that's reflected here in this passage. And maybe John gets a little specific, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, like that helps us nail it down a little bit. But it's, there's still a lot of vagueness Right? I, like, I don't think this passage helps me nail down if I'm spending too much time on Facebook, for example. Right? Like, it doesn't really provide a lot of clear-cut answers. Me, I just want the clear-cut answers. Tell it to me straight. John Piper. John Piper uses this quote. He says, anything in the world that successfully competes, I love that, that phrasing, successfully competes with our love for God, is an idol. And hopefully, as you're seeing these, you're already thinking of something in your mind. Like, oh yeah, I know something. I've got something in my life that is taking up so much of my time. I've got something in my life that is just eating up all of my money. Right? And, and I, think, I think those are our two most important categories. Ultimately, when we talk about idolatry, we always end up here on the issues of time and money. And I think those are great 
factors to run our problems through? What am I spending so much time on? Am I giving all of my time to sports and none of my time to God? Sports may be an idol in your life. Am I giving so much of my money to this political campaign? Well, then it could be an idol in my life. But I think this is short still. I don't think it answers the question. I don't think it helps us answer the question. I think we need to ask ourselves, why? Why am I spending so much time doing this? Why am I spending so much money on these people? Why am I doing this? I think the prime example for me helped me answer this question. When I was talking through this with Eric, with Pastor Eric, he was talking, we were talking about Facebook and how all of us, Facebook, social media, TikTok, Reddit, whatever it is, we all just sit here and scroll nonstop. All of us. None of us are like free or free of guilt from that one. We all just sit here and scroll. And we worry, am I spending too much time on this? Is it becoming an idol in my life? I don't think so. I don't think any of you are bowing down, worshiping Facebook. If you are, we can talk later. I don't think any of you are bowing down to Mark Zuckerberg and saying, Mark, teach me the ways. Right? But we are spending a whole bunch of time on social media. Why? For me, I deleted social media like six or seven years ago. The reason I deleted social media was because I was spending far too much time on it. But Facebook, Instagram, all of those social medias weren't an idol to me. I was my own idol, my own vanity. Dude, I loved accomplishing things and doing great things and then posting that on Facebook. I loved that. That was like, that was like my drug of choice. I loved seeing people congratulate me or tell me how great I was. Or, and then I loved to sit there and scroll on Facebook and, and, and other social medias and, and look and see, oh, I'm better than that person. I'm doing worse off, but I could be doing a little bit better. Whatever. It was my own vanity. It was my own issue. I was spending so much time on my Facebook. I was spending so much time on my social medias, but I wasn't worshiping them. I was worshiping me. We have to ask ourselves the question, why am I spending so much time and money on these things. Maybe you're spending a, a lot of money trying to uh, like better your kids' lives. And that's a good thing, right? Idols are often come from something that is a good thing. But we take good things and we make them the ultimate things. And Pastor Errol will say that's when they become bad. When we take good things and make them ultimate, they become bad. Spending money on your kids isn't a bad thing. But if, it's, if you're just like shelling out money nonstop and it's just this like, well, I, I'm doing this because I want them to see, like I, want, like I want to provide for my kids. I want to be the, like I want to provide. It's me, it's me, it's me. Well, maybe your kids are your idol. Maybe you're your own idol in that situation. But we have to ask ourselves ultimately, why? And listen, that's a difficult process. I don't have fun looking through my life and seeing what I worship and what I idolize, but it's crucial. It's crucial. He, say, he says this in, in, in Judges, in the, in the next verse. God says, go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. These are the gods we've chosen. Me was, I, I chose myself. I chose my own vanity. I thought I could get by on my charming personality and my dashing good looks. Right? And there's a position in life where God says, okay, go. See if it works out. You chose this. And that's scary. 
Paul actually even nails this concept down even further. In the book of Romans, he says, For although they knew God, speaking of the Israelite people, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged, I love that word, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal humans, mortal human beings, and birds and animals and reptiles. Hit the next slide. Therefore, therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than in the creation, who is forever praised. Amen. I love Paul's language here. He talks about this trade deal, right? In in our lives, God is giving himself. He has offered himself as the perfect gift. Here I am, he says. You are sinful, disgusting, nasty little creatures, but here I am. And I'm offering myself all the kindness and goodness and grace that he has to offer is available to us. And we have that. But at some point, we exchange, we trade, we sell him for these other things. For me, it was myself. I sold him for myself. I traded in the truth about God for lies about myself. And church, I... We all have, listen, we have all, we have chosen other gods. You have and I have. And if, if this is true, if, we're, if we are choosing other gods, and Judges chapter 10 is true, and 1 Samuel 8 is true, and Romans chapter 1 is true, then we're in trouble. Aren't we? We're in trouble. We are in a position where we could push things to a dangerous level. John Calvin the famous, uh, famous theologian, he said, every one of us is, even from our own mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. Master craftsman. You don't even have to be good at whittling. You're already a pro at it. We're so good at coming up with other gods to worship, chasing after other things, looking for something outside of him. And, and church, the question I've got is like, well, what can we do about it? Like, what do I do? Because I, apparently I'm a master craftsman. And, and when I'm looking at my life, like I've talked about my vanity this morning, but there's a, there's a list, a laundry list of issues, of things I'm worshiping. Right? Maybe it's money in my life. Maybe it's the security I get from having money. Maybe it's my family. You know, well, at least my family's figured out. You know what I mean? The rest of the world is crazy or whatever, but like my family's all good. Right? We take these good things that God has given us and we And we choose them over him, forgetting that he's the one who gave it to us in the first place. And so we have to ask, well, what what can I do? God, I don't want to be in this position. I don't want to be here just constantly serving other idols. I I don't want to be like the Israelites and judges, constantly going through this cycle of messing up and, and asking for help. Well, I strategically left some things out in Judges chapter 10, and we're going to get back into it. The verses I did not read were the verses that these verses follow. But the Israelites said to the Lord, we have sinned, they say. We have sinned. Do whatever you think is best. I love that. I love that from the Israelites. They're just like, they just get to a position. We've been chasing these other gods and God says, okay, go. Go ahead. 
and they hit rock bottom, like so many of us do. We chase after our own addictions, we chase after our own idols in our lives, and, and we hit rock bottom. And I, I mean, the Israelites say what, I, what, uh, what I've said before to God, just do whatever you think is best, dude. Like, I'm just at a point where, I, just do whatever you think is best. I tried living on my own will. I tried doing things my own way. I thought Marco's way was the way to solve the issue, but obviously it wasn't. God, just do whatever you think is best. But I mean, listen to the desperation here. But please rescue us now. Please, God. You may not rescue us, but please. Please rescue us. Then, then, they got rid of their foreign gods among them and served the Lord. Church, this is a beautiful example of real repentance. Here it is. The Israelites have to first understand what they're doing is wrong. If you've ever been a part of Celebrate Recovery or any addiction uh, programming, step one is I have to understand I'm not God. I have to understand that what I'm doing is wrong. I have to see that God's plan is better than mine first. And then, ding, 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 then, I've got to do something about it. Jesus says, if your right hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to go your life without a hand than to have that hand drag you into hell. And here's that same idea, reciprocated. We have to get rid of our foreign gods. Burn them. Destroy them. We have to do so. We have to show God that like, okay, yeah, I, I see what I'm doing is wrong. I, I see that I'm doing it wrong, and I'm going to do something to try to fix it. And, and what's God's response to this? How does God respond when he sees us this way? And he could bear Israel's misery no longer. I mean, church, that's beautiful. I, I, I got like four or five verses before that, God is so frustrated with his people that he says, you know what? Fine, just go. Chase what after whatever you want to chase after. And he lets them get to this point of rock bottom, hitting rock bottom. And they say, God, please rescue us. God can't help himself when we repent. He can't. He just can't wait for us to be like the prodigal son and to come running home. That's what he's waiting for. He's waiting for us to understand that what we are doing is wrong and to burn those idols. Church, Jesus is better than. He just is. He's better than whatever it is you're chasing. He's better than my own vanity. He's better than my accomplishments. He's better than my dashing good looks, my beautiful flowing hair. He's better than all of those things. He's better than your families, as great as they may be, and I'm sure they're great. He's better than your financial situation, as good or as, as bad as it is. He's better than those images that you're so desperately chasing online. He's better than the, than, than the affair that you, that you so desperately want to get involved in. Church, we, we choose a lot of other things instead of him. I'm just as guilty. The person sitting next to you is just as guilty as you are. And I think we have to remind ourselves of this truth often. I taught this lesson to our students at Evergreen this Wednesday. We talked about this exact same issue about how we let things get in the way of our lives and clutter our relationship with Jesus. And I asked students, and I'm going to ask you the same question, what do you need to get rid of? 
Like, what do you need to get rid of? Because the need is, is obvious. If you don't get rid of it, there may come a time in your life where God says, just go after it. That doesn't mean that he's forsaking you forever. That doesn't mean that he's just abandoning you completely. He's still going to hold on to you tight. But he may loosen the leash a little bit. He may let you go and experience the things that you want to experience. He says, go. Let those gods save you. Church, we've got to remind ourselves every day, every minute, all the time, he's better. He's better. If you grabbed one of those handouts, there's a spot for you to write that down. Jesus is better than. I want you to write it in yourself. If you don't have one, write it on your hand, on your forehead. I don't care. What is Jesus better than for you? The necessity is present. We have to find our idols. We have to understand that we're choosing things other than him. Church, what do we need to get rid of this morning? And understand that he's just better. Let's pray. God, we, we run away from you a lot. And we do so very quickly. And, 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 and we do so with like such a joy sometimes. God, we, we have a lot of idols in our lives. We allow good things. We allow bad things. We just allow other things to get in the way of us, of our relationship with you. God, we forget that you've offered up perfect grace to us. You're kind to us. Help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember who we are. And that, God, it's only you that's going to get us through. It's not these idols that we're chasing. God, we love you. And we know you're going to rescue us. Pray all these things in your name. Amen.